Oh, come on, with that face, I don't know if you convinced them. Amen. Well, good to see you here this morning. We have a team of seven people that are in New York. They'll be on their way back today, uh, and their family members. So we have some people missing this morning. Uh, the Granadas are on vacation the next couple of weeks, so we pray God just blesses them. A few other people not able to make it. Um, so we've, we've done well this summer by the grace of God. You know, some churches have what they call the summer slump. And uh, that means the attendance kind of goes down because people are going on vacation, all good natural things that we do. Um, but God has been good. We have not had a slump. Um, we've had good attendance, and we've had the Spirit of God working. Amen? That's the most important thing is that the presence of God is working. But we do have a few peop people missing this morning, so I need you to make up for the amens and the praise of the Lord and the hallelujahs that are going to be missing. Amen. I told you before, the more amens that I hear, the quicker I can get through my message. Because when you say amen, I think you're getting it so I can move on. If I don't hear amens, i got to keep preaching till you get it. Amen. Uh, I want to remind you also to share our live stream. We always have a good amount of people that share it. And we've even seen in the last few weeks an uptick of people who are actually viewing it. I viewed the live stream this morning um, from last Sunday... Uh, because I wanted to see what I wore last Sunday to make sure I didn't wear to, to view the live stream. Uh, most importantly is to hear the word of God. So yes, I didn't wear this last Sunday. I wore a white shirt. So, so it's all good. Amen. Um, what I've also learned as a pastor in church is that sometimes people, church members that have been around a long time, uh, maybe they don't open their Bibles, maybe when they go on their phone, they go on other things, maybe they shouldn't go on, be distracted. Um, but it's important because when we do have visitors, we want to welcome all of our visitors this morning. If you're here for the very first time, we welcome you. Amen. God bless you. Welcome those online. But what I'm saying is it's important because you know what I've heard uh, said, and this, I believe this rings true. I believe uh, it really happens. You know, when, when a preacher preaches, people hear what he's saying. And new people, they hear what's being said, but they look around to see how everyone else is re reacting or responding. So in other words, if you're a church person and you've been here for years and you're indifferent, you're looking around, you're not engaged, then the people that are visiting or new Christians think, well, that's how you ought to be and it doesn't matter if you're focused. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Come on, somebody say amen. So I need to hear you say amen. I need to see you engaged. I need to, I need to see some people that, that are going to excite me to preach. You see, for a preacher, when you say amen, that's like saying sigum to a dog. Amen? All right, let's, let's get into the Word of God this morning. Uh, Call My Summer Playlist. And what that is basically is sermons from the book of Psalms. Psalms were written over a period of 1,000 years. Psalms go all the way back to the time of Moses. Moses wrote a psalm. Then it goes all the way to the time of Ezra. So it spans about a thousand years of Israel history. So what we have in the Psalms are a great 
uh, uh, overview of the worship and the prayer and the praise of God's people through many generations, through many seasons, through many experiences so that you and I can find ourselves in the journey and how to process and how to move along. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 63. It's a Psalm of David. David wrote probably half of the Psalms. He wrote probably 73, maybe even a, a few more uh, sprinkled in, but, but the, the beginning of the Psalms, the first 70-something Psalms are really mo- mainly ascribed to David. David was a psalmist. David was a songwriter. David was a man of praise. He was a man of worship. He loved God passionately. And so he would put words to music. He would, he would uh, uh, craft the, the words, but also put the music. He, he even put together some musical instruments. He's ascribed to putting together the worship and helping uh, the expression of God's people to worship and to praise God. Can you say amen? amen. Psalm 63, Psalm 63. I want to read five this morning. How many of you are there? Say amen. amen. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. You wonder why we lift up our hands? Because the people of the Bible understood that was a way of reaching out to God and acknowledging and worshiping him. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, or better translation, as with the anointing and abundance. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. I want to speak to you on the theme of experiencing God. Experiencing God. It's important, it's critical that every single one of us have a personal revelation of who God is, a personal encounter with God. It must line up with the scriptures. It must be according to the truth as revealed in God's word. And we must be able to test it to see whether it is of God. You know, because the Bible tells us to test the spirits to make sure they're of God. You don't receive everything. You don't listen to everything and believe everything on YouTube or even a preacher on on TV, whatever. Just accept it for what it is. You need to test it with the word of God and by the spirit of God. Can you say amen? amen? You see, it's important that you and I experience God for ourselves. David was a man of God who experienced God for himself. He knew God. He loved God. He worshiped God. But he experienced the joy of that. It wasn't just one way. It was, it was reciprocal. It was, it was going back and forth. It was an experience that he had with God that he knew God in a personal and dynamic way. And you know what? That's God's will for every single one of us. 
That's God's plan and purpose that all of us can know God, we can enjoy God, we can fellowship with God, we can have a personal and intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. That's God's will. That's God's desire for us. So the question or the, the thing that I want to deal with today is the importance of you and I experiencing God and knowing God for ourselves. You know, it's one thing to know about something. It's a big dif difference to experience it for yourself. It's the difference between knowing about something and experiencing and knowing it for yourself now because you've experienced it. Let me illustrate this. My first seven or eight trips to Africa, I went uh, on most, uh, except one, uh, with Barnabas Ministries. And in those seven and eight trips that I went to Africa, I experienced amazing things. I experienced new things, wonderful experiences, the food, the travel, the people, the, the ministry, the churches, the experience was amazing. But I went on all of those trips without Pastor Lisa. Now, my wife, she was always very supportive of my trips. She encouraged me, she prayed for me, she helped me to pack, she ordered all the necessary uh, uh, vaccines and supplies, everything I needed. She was so supportive. Matter of fact, she would have my bags packed and she was so supportive, sometimes I wondered if it, she was just looking to get me out the door. <laughs> she knew I was on a trip, she was already packing the bags. Good thing I'm secure in the love that my wife has for me. When I would come back, I would show her the pictures, the videos. I would share with her all of the wonderful experiences that I had. She heard. She saw what I showed her. She experienced Africa secondhand. She knew about Africa, but she didn't experience it for herself. So there's a big difference. In 2013, Pastor Lisa came for the first time with me to Kenya. We stayed uh, at the beginning of our trip in Nairobi. And in this trip, this was her first time in Africa. And right from the airport, she, all she did was stick her head out the window and take pictures. I mean, she was taking pictures of anything and everything and things you didn't necessarily have to take pictures of, but she was just so, so excited. She's taking pictures. Now, the first night we stayed in Nairobi, we stayed in a, a, a church's property that had some, uh, some rooms with bathrooms, and we were able to stay there. Um, and so having traveled to Africa, I knew that one of the challenges that you have at night is you don't necessarily have air conditioning and you have big mosquitoes. You see, the mosquitoes in America are the ones that couldn't make it in Africa. And so we had, we bought a, a couple of small fans and battery operated fans because electricity could be spotty, could go, you know, in and out sometimes. But the problem was that um, uh, someone actually, I, I won't say who it was, it was nobody here, um, but they bought it for us and they bought these cheap ones and I think they were from the dollar store. So we had these two fans and, and here's how I dealt. I, I, I don't like the mosquito nets, 
Um, I just feel enclosed and just never feel comfortable there. So if you have a fan, you're kept cool and you keep the mosquitoes away, right? They can't land on you. So, so we thought we were set. So the first night about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, I hear these fans <laughs> dying. These fans just died. So now we have two problems. We're waking up because the heat, and then all of a sudden the mosquitoes just came. <laughs> they called their friends. They came. The next morning, no word of exaggeration, I counted on my wife's back 21 mosquito bites. These were not small mosquitoes. These were, these were mosquitoes on steroids. But you know what? My wife had heard about Africa. But now... She knew Africa. <laughs> she knew it for herself. What happened? She experienced the joys and the challenges of traveling overseas, of traveling in other countries. What am I trying to say? Is that we not, can not only hear about God, hear about what God did, other, in, did in other places, uh, you know, we can't just go by what others have experienced. We need to experience God for our, ourselves. And you know what? That is God's desire for each and every one of us. We were created in his image. We were created to experience his presence, his glory, his majesty, the unity of this presence, of, of just being in one accord with him. David, in this psalm, he had that kind of experience with God. I'm not content just to read about what David encountered. I want to experience and encounter God for myself. Can you say amen? David experienced a personal, dynamic experience with God. He says in verse 2, in, in the New American Standard and in the NIV and several other translations, I like the way it says in verse 2, he said, I have looked for you in the sanctuary, but other translations that I read, it says, I have seen you in the sanctuary. What is he saying? I have encountered the power and the glory and the majesty of God in the sanctuary. I have met with God and I have felt, I have experienced his touch upon my life. Verse 3, he says, your loving kindness is better than life. When you've lived and walked with God, you've experienced his grace, his goodness, you can testify for yourself. You could say, your loving kindness is better than life, better than anything in this life. Verse 5, David says, my soul, my soul shall be satisfied with you, God. You see, he knew God for himself. Not just what his parents taught him. Not just what he learned through his religious training in the community of faith while he was growing up. But he knew and he experienced God for himself. 
how important it is for you and I to have our own personal revelation of God. For, our own, for us to have our own encounter with God. It's got to line up with Scripture. We've got to test it to see whether it is of God. But I'm not, I'm not contending just for experience, for experience sake. But, but I'm contending with what the Scriptures speak to us about. People who knew God. People who experienced God for themselves. I want to share with you a testimony of an encounter, an experience I had with God. Every time I share about my experience or testimonies, I always like to preface it by saying, listen, my experience, first of all, is not the standard by which you judge your experience. In other words, yours doesn't have to be like mine to be genuine and to be valid. But I share my experience to encourage you, to whet your appetite, to let you know that God is real and that God could touch you and that God could minister to you in such a way that you know that you know that you know that he's real. I remember when I, when I was first born again, I was born again, um, matter of fact, my spiritual birthday was yesterday. Yes. Everybody say happy spiritual birthday to Pastor Richard. I was born again July 29th, 1981. How many of you were not even born? 1981. So 42 years, 42 years I've been born again. I was saved as a teenager, 17, just before I turned 18 years old. But I remember at this young age having, you know, this, this salvation experience, knowing that my sins were forgiven, knowing that I'd become a, a Christian, a true Christian, although I grew up believing in God, knew about God. I went to a Catholic school from kindergarten all the way through uh, ninth grade. But I, I didn't know God personally. Right? Getting back to Pastor Lisa knowing uh, for herself Africa. It's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to know him personally for yourself. So I, I was saved, and as a teenager, came out of a, you know, just things teenagers were doing, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, worldly stuff, partying. Some of you were looking at it and say, Pastor Richard, you partied? <laughs> yes, before Jesus. Some of you are still partying, and it's after Jesus. But that's another sermon, amen. But I remember as a new Christian, saved several months now, I'm going to church, I'm going to prayer meetings, I'm reading my Bible, I'm growing closer to Jesus. I'm, I'm experiencing the joy of, of my salvation. But I went through a dry season. I went through a few weeks or a couple of months where I didn't feel God. I didn't experience much of anything. It was just a dry season. And, and we're reading the book of Acts. I mean, we're reading this book of Psalms. What did David say? My soul thirsts for you. I long for you. Now understand the context. If you have in your Bible a little, a little uh, notation at the beginning, it says a Psalm of David. What do you have? A Psalm of David when he was where? In the wilderness. Now David was in the wilderness uh, many times, but primarily two times he was in the wilderness. Once when he was on uh, fleeing from Saul. When Saul, the king of Israel, had a maniacal, wicked spirit that came on him and he tried to kill David and David had to flee to the wilderness. And there are some other Psalms that were written during this time. Now this one says a Psalm of David in the wilderness. So how do we know this one's different? Because we can read the context of the Psalm. So this was not the time that Saul, 
is chasing him. This is the time he's in the wilderness when Absalom, his son, had a coup, rebelled against him, and, and seized the kingdom, got some leaders around him, turned the hearts of the people towards him, and, and Absalom took the kingdom. And David had to flee from Jerusalem. David had to flee. David had to run for his life. Some of his, his, his true friends, his true leaders st stuck with him. And, and he's in the wilderness. And now he's longing for the presence of God as it was manifested in the tabernacle, in the dwelling place where the ark of God was. The temple had not yet been built because the temple was built by David's son Solomon, so we have no Solomon's temple yet, but the presence of God was in a, a tent in the, in the ark of the covenant. And so, so David had to flee. He is in the wilderness. He's in the southern part of Israel, and here he is fleeing from, from his son, and, and, and his heart is longing not for the palace not for Jerusalem his heart is longing for the presence of God he's in a dry place he's in a wilderness that is very barren and very dry which acts as a metaphor for his spiritual experience now he's longing for God and he says my soul longs for God. My flesh cries out for the living God. I'm in a barren place. I'm in a place where there is no water, and I'm longing for the presence of God. What am I trying to say? As a new believer, a young believer, young in age and young in my relationship with God, I went through several weeks or a couple of months of just not experiencing God going to church, and you know when you, and then, you know, when, when you have dry seasons, what happens? The devil, the temptations start to become a little, the voices become a little louder. In the wilderness, things could be very quiet at night, and so, so, so the voice of the enemy could start to, to drown out your own voice. And so I'm tempted now to, to maybe go back, Pastor Mike talked about that in the offering, go back to, to the old ways, go back to Egypt. And I remember one night, being so discouraged, and, and I believe it was that fork in the road. It's that place in your walk with God where you either go on with him or you backslide. You either go on with him or you compromise. You either go on with him or you start to dabble in sin and try to find the satisfaction that you're looking for that only God could give you. You try to find it in the things of the world. I remember it was a Friday night and, and I was just going to get together with some, some Christians. And, and I just remember being so discouraged and, and telling somebody, they asked me, where are you going tonight? And I told them, and they just kind of like, they weren't a believer, and they said, they just rolled their eyes like, here you are, you're 18 years old on a Friday night, and you're going to go hang out with some older Christians? Don't sound like too much fun. But see, you're looking at it through the eyes of the world, but when you look at it through eyes of faith, you want to be where people know God and you could experience God. So I went and just hung out. And now, now they, they told me in that little gathering, they told me the next morning there was going to be a men's breakfast. Now, if you've been around any length of time, you might have heard of the full gospel men's breakfast. That was a movement in the 70s and 80s that just swept across the country uh, that, that just really... Uh, there were, there were chapters and groups starting all over the country, full gospel men's breakfast. And it was just a movement. There was 
thousands, tens of thousands of people that would gather in these different groups. So Norman Boyce, some of you remember Brother Norman and Celeste Boyce, an elderly couple. He was the director of the chapter in um, Lincoln area. I forgot the name of the, the town. But anyway, so I went to that men's breakfast. Again, I'm 18 years old. Came out of the world. So, so it's not like I, I grew up in this. But I remember going to the men's breakfast and being at a very critical juncture in my life. Being tested, being tempted, starting out with God, but now just feels dry. It feels barren. It feels empty. I went to this men's breakfast. I don't quite remember what they spoke on, but they call people up to the, to the front. You know how we call people up to the front? Yeah. You know how we have times of prayer around the altar? I remember so distinctly Norman Boyce, praying over me. I'm standing there again, just, just God, I need you, God. I, I, I can't feel you. I can't sense you. And I remember him just lifting his hands to pray over me. Now, some of you maybe don't know this experience. It could be called slain in the spirit. It could be called resting in the spirit. It could be falling under the power, whatever you want to call it. I think slain sounds a little, he was slain in the spirit. But whatever you want to call it, it's when the presence of God comes upon you and you fall because you can't stand. <laughs> Why'd you fall? Because I couldn't stand. <laughs> you want a theological reason? But he lifted his hands and began to pray over me and the spirit of God just came over me. The peace of God. And I just fell. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't a courtesy drop, you know, when somebody's praying and they're giving you a little push and you're like fighting against it and it's like... Like you want to fall for their sake because they're praying so hard, but you're not feeling it. But he just lifted his hand. Didn't even touch me. It wasn't people were falling. It wasn't anything I was working myself up for or expecting. He just raised his hands and the spirit of God came upon me. And when I got up from that time, you say, what, what happened? I don't know what happened. I just know the spirit of God ministered to me. And I went in the power and the grace of that for weeks and months. Because I remember afterwards telling people that, that are not even Christians and saying, God just touched me. It was powerful. I knew that I knew that I knew. God touched me. It was so real. And it made a difference in my life, in that juncture, in that season. You see, you can't just rely on what somebody else has told you, what you've read in a book, or even what you've heard. Those all might be good but they're insufficient. There must be a time when you experience God for yourself, when you know him firsthand, where you get a revelation that nothing less than God himself can ever satisfy in you. You see, once you experience God's presence and power, you can never be satisfied with lesser pleasures. I want you to get that this morning. I want you to hear that. When you've been touched by God, when you've tasted of the divine, when you've tasted of the spirit, when you tasted of the glory of God, you've been fulfilled in a place in your life that nothing in this world can ever satisfy you. Do you know the most miserable people on the planet are backslidden Christians? The most miserable people on the planet are those who once tasted of the powers to come, Hebrews says, but they've fallen away. He said, you know why they're the most miserable? Because they know better. 
They've experienced something that's so great that nothing in this world can satisfy. Why? Because God created us with a physical body, but we're spirit beings that it can only be satisfied with what is eternal. We try as hard as we can, worldly, material, fleshly pleasures in this world, but cannot be satisfied because we were created for heaven. Ecclesiastes, I believe it's 3.11, says he has set eternity in their hearts. God set, God's place within us a void that only eternity, only Christ can fulfill. Do you wonder this morning, is there an encounter, is there an experience with God? Is such an experience possible? Look in the Bible, Moses met God in the desert. Jacob met God at an all-night prayer meeting. Samuel heard God's voice in the midnight hour. Paul encountered the resurrected Christ on his way to terrorize Christians. Is it possible today? Let me assure you from personal experience, it is. The power of God has touched our lives, my life, your life, over, so many times over the years. When, when, when those times when God has become so real that you know that you know that you know he's real. And we need to, we need to capture those moments in our spirit mind and in our memory, write them down, journal them, talk of them because, because the devil will come and try to lie to us in our times of discouragement, in our times of, 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 of wilderness, times like David. You see, David's in a wilderness. He, he, he doesn't know what the future holds. His son has led a rebellion, a coup against him, has taken, has taken his counselor, has taken uh, some of the key people in his administration doesn't know if he's ever going to come back to Jerusalem but you know what he's not so much concerned as being re, uh, reinstated as the king or going back to the political and the religious headquarters of Jerusalem what he's more concerned with is the presence of God look what he says oh God you are my God Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you understand he's writing this in the desert he's writing this on the run my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He said, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power. I've seen your glory. Some of you have seen and experienced the glory and the power of God. Let me tell you, there's nothing greater. There's nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing more worthwhile than the presence of Almighty God. Let me just bring this to a conclusion as we see for David, this struggle as a true seeker of God. He's, the cause is he's going through a dry season. You know, there are, quickly, there are other reasons why people go through dry seasons. Disobedience and sin. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in, in, in Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, the Trinity, he is not an it. He is not a force. He is a person. You can't grieve a, an inanimate object. You can only grieve someone who has feelings. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Sin, disobedience, grieves and pushes God's presence away. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, you, O God, will not even hear. 
Isaiah 49, 59, verse two, uh, 59 verse 2 says, your iniquities have separated you from God. This morning, if you're living in sin and disobedience, I, I implore you, repent. Ask God to forgive you. There is grace, but it's only at the cross. There is not grace to sin more. There's not grace to do your own thing, but there's grace to repent and turn to God. Another reason why uh, we go through dry seasons is that we chase after fleshly lusts. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Beloved, I abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. What does that mean? If we're chasing after fleshly desires, they fight against our very soul, man, our very spiritual part, and that causes dryness and barrenness. Other ways... That, that we go through a dry season, God is testing us. At least one person believes it. The Bible says of King Hezekiah, he had a, a, a revival in the nation, led the people in worship, did some great things, but the Bible says... When, when, when foreign emissaries came, ambassadors came from other nations, that the Spirit of God left Hezekiah to test him to see what was in his heart. So you can be going through a dry season, not necessarily anything wrong you've done, not because you've grieved God, not because you're chasing after fleshly lust, not because you're being disobedient, but because God is testing you. How are you going to react in a dry season? It's one thing in revival. It's one thing when the church is growing. It's one thing when you're being used. It's one thing when ministry is exciting. Blessing of God is there. That's one thing, but it's another thing when it dries up. And you just got to keep being faithful. You got to keep showing up. You got to keep doing it when you don't feel it. The Bible says that God's spirit withdrew very explicitly so that God would test him see what was in his heart. Unfortunately, Hezekiah, what he did was he showed the king or the, the people from uh, Assyria, I believe it was, a foreign nation, showed them all the treasures. He, he basically was, was, was being proud. He failed the test. Another way is God, when we go through dry seasons, God's trying to teach us how to walk by faith and not by sight and not by our feelings. Sometimes you become in the church, you might even be doing ministry and you don't necessarily feel it. I don't always feel it when I have to preach and minister, going through my own battles, my own struggles, my own trials. But I have to get up. I, I, I can't say, woe is me. I can't say, oh, it's been a rough week. Uh, yes, I'm human and sometimes I need prayer. But sometimes as a leader, you've got to get up and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? You still have to get up and go to work when you don't feel like it. Amen? You still have to love your wife, love your spouse. You still have to serve and you still have to do certain, even when you don't feel like it. We live in a culture that it's all about feelings. Oh, if I feel good, if I feel like it. No, we're not called to be people of feelings. We're called to be people of faith. And yes, there are feelings that come from God, but faith must be first. Can you say amen? And he had a conviction. He said, I have seen you in the sanctuary. See, he knew even though, even though that experience might have seemed distant, he never forgot in his mind. There are certain mockers. There are certain memorial stones in my mind's eye that I can never forget. 
that I can never forget that testify of the power of God. May the Holy Spirit just remind you this morning of those times in your life where God picked you up, delivered you, set you free, made a way where there was no way, helped you, blessed you, saved you. When people, when the enemy would have destroyed you, God plucked you out of the net of the enemy. He plucked you out of the pit. Somebody ought to shout praise the Lord this morning. The hunger of a true seeker of God. And I'm almost done. I'm not done. I'm almost there. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. You see, God, God was the object of his desire. What does he say? Verse 1, oh God, you are my God. It's not about money. It's not about prestige. It's not about church buildings. It's not about big ministries. God, you are my God. I thirst for you. I long for you. I don't long for degrees. You know, I remember when degree, for, to get a bachelor degree 20, 30 years ago was a big deal. Then now, then it was like years later, you know, so I got a bachelor's degree. Then years later, you got to get a master's degree. I got a master's degree. Now you got to get a, a, a doctorate degree. You got to get a PH degree. Then there's something called a terminal degree. I don't know if I want one of those. <laughs> you know, and, and them pastors are getting, getting doctorate of ministry degrees. They're called demon degrees. I don't want a demon. I thought we're supposed to cast out demons. What am I trying to say is that, that, that it never ends. We've got to be secure and, and find our identity in the God who loves us. And the God who's chosen us and the God who has set his affection on us. And David, that's what he understood. He said, God, you're my God. I want your presence more than anything. I long for you. Why? Because your loving kindness is better than life. And I want to just close just with a few thoughts. If the worship team could just come back and just begin to play. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed. You want to be blessed this morning. You want to be fulfilled this morning. You want to be happy this morning. You want to be blessed. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. So I want to conclude. How do you stir up a hunger for more of God? That's, see, that's what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about having more of a hunger. That's what David had. I long for you. I thirst for you. I want you, God. You know the problem is most of us, and I say this lovingly, but I want to help you with this. Most of us are satisfied with a lot lesser, smaller desires. You see, what did your, what did your parent tell you when you were younger and you're waiting for the meal and you started wanting to snack on some candy or, or chocolate or cookies or donuts, your mother would say, don't spoil your appetite. Don't spoil your appetite. What happens if you, if you pick on the little candy, the chocolate, the donuts, whatever? You lose your appetite for the good food, the good stuff. And see, what happens in Christians' lives, we're satisfied with enough of this and enough of that and all the lesser pleasures that the greatest pleasure we no longer have an appetite for.
We come to church and we're already full. We're full on the things of this world. We're full on the temptation, the lust of this world, the desires of this world. So how do we stir up a hunger? Number one, quickly pray for it. Pray for it. I'm going to go through this quickly. Pray for it. You see, even the desire to seek God is a gift from him. John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No man could come to me unless the Father draws him. Pray for it. Say, God, I pray for that myself. God, give me a hunger and a thirst for more of you, God. God, I don't want to be satiated. I don't want to be satisfied for the trinkets of this world, the applause of man, the degrees, the this, the that. God, give me a hunger and a thirst for you. Pray for a hunger. It's God's will. It's a prayer God loves to answer. Number two, remember special times with God. Hello? It's not just me that has experienced God. You've experienced God. It's not just the pastor or the leader. No, all of us are children of God, that God has graciously bestowed his grace, his love, his touch, his glory upon us. Remember those times. Stir it up. When The time when you experience the glory of God, the power of God. I remember in Bible college, the power of God breaking forth in classes where they had to shut it down. The teacher couldn't teach. People were on their faces before God. God was delivering people. God was healing people. And God is still doing it. Come on, remember those times. Number three, get around hungry people. You see, in the natural, when I want to go out to eat, my wife and I sometimes will call somebody and ask them, someone who loves to eat in those good restaurants, we say, where's a good place to go? What did you eat there? It's the same thing spiritually. Get around spiritually hungry people that will be able to tell you where to eat, what to eat, how to eat. They'll tell you the stories of of revival. They'll tell you the the healings they experienced. Some of you from your countries in in Africa and Asia and Central America and South America, you were a part of revivals. You saw thousands saved and thousands healed. You saw great works. Stir those up in your heart. Rehearse them. Tell us about them. We need to hear them so that the people of God will know that there is a God in Israel. There is a God who's real. There is a God who still pours out his spirit and does miracles. And lastly, press in. Press in. Psalm 34 verse 8, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. What is that? That's an experience. That's experiencing it for yourself. The presence of God. We're talking about when we praise and worship here at Victory, these altars should always be full, not because there's something magical about here, but because you're just pressing in. You're just worshiping. You're just trying to focus on God. When the word of God is preached, you should be metaphorically sitting at the edge of your seat, not because I'm so great of a preacher, but because the word of God is so great. 
You want to hear the word. The Bible says in Nehemiah's time, I just got done reading it, it says that they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. The walls were broken down because the people were not reading the word. They were not obeying the word. So when the walls were rebuilt, they realized it wasn't just the bricks and the mortar that were going to hold it together. They needed to hear the word of God. So you know what happened? They, they, they began to teach the word of God. The Bible says Ezra stood on a platform because there were so many people and he began to speak and he spoke for one fourth of the day. He just, he just preached the word. You know, a fourth of the day, what is that, six hours? Some of you are getting a little antsy because I've gone past 35 minutes. We've got churches nowadays in this country that give little sermonettes. You've got to do 15, 20 minutes because that's all people could handle. It's amazing they can handle two or three hours on Facebook. It's amazing they can watch a football game for three hours and not get tired. But now in our church culture, we got to do we got to do a 45-minute service, like a dry cleaning, in and out, in and out. So sooner or later, they're going to have church services. I can just bless people. They'll drive in and drive out, give their tithe. God bless you, Pastor. I'm going to go enjoy my life. God help us. In the time of Ezra, the Bible says they stood, and then they said, we want to hear more. At one point, it was raining, and they stood in the rain. Why? Because they understood the reason why the walls were broken down in Jerusalem was because the people disobeyed God. And if the walls are going to stand, they're going to hear the word. They're going to obey. Let's press in. Let's press in. Would you stand together with me this morning? Would you stand with me this morning? We have an anointed worship team. Every team, every member loves God, worships God, prepares, pre and just practices and rehearses. And They love God, they worship God, but they don't do it for us, they do it with us. Listen, we need to encounter God. You can encounter God anywhere, but you know what? God manifests His presence where there's a hunger and a thirst. God's presence is everywhere. The Bible says we cannot flee from his presence. But you know what? God is not manifesting or making himself real everywhere. He makes himself real with his people. And I believe God is doing it in this church. I believe we're beginning to see it. I believe, I believe we're, we're, we're experiencing some of those uh, stirrings. But I believe there's so much more. I believe we need more of God. As they begin, the team begins to sing, there is a, a, a meeting for the international service but if we can just give a few moments of just being in the presence of God let's not rush this time come on every single one of you God's speaking to you come on I believe God has spoken to some hearts that that you're really you're really your ear is is, is attentive right now come on let's respond let's press in come on let's seek him let's let's worship him in spirit and in truth come on just reach out come around these altars just seek God, worship God as we sing. This is a house of This is a place of grace. Come on, let's press into his presence. Let's seek him this morning. Where every day. Come on, come on. God knows what you're